Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi, folks. This is Sarah Perry. And on this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about shibari. Um, Shibari is the Japanese art of rope bondage. It originates from Hojojitsu, which is the um, way that they used to tie up criminals um, in ancient Japan. And they actually would confine them in these ropes. And at times it became almost like a good way to have them constrained but still making sure that they were not being injured apparently they were extremely respectful to their prisoners and were very very careful about them be suffering or being in pain and it's part of the reason that um, this originated this way in japan it's called kinbaru it's not actually called shibari shibari translates to tying up to being tied and therefore um, if you go to Japan and you experience this there you may want to just call it its real name Kimbaku so by the end of this video you should know where it came from Japan why people like it um, some basic lingo interaction for how you go about discussing shibari um, basic etiquette rules how to make it happen for yourself, how to get yourself in environments where this would be a safe and easy place to happen. Um, and all of the consent and amazing stuff that goes along with this kind of uh, bondage BDSM interaction. It does definitely fit into a category of art. It fits into a category of relaxation, um, stress relief techniques, um, sometimes even tantric meditation. Um, it doesn't have to be sexual so we have this idea that bdsm in general is a sexual experience but bdsm is not necessarily sexual and a lot of people that practice different forms of bdsm um, do it for other aspects that are not arousing that are just different forms of either regaining control or releasing control in ways that can be super therapeutic and actually really amazing and helpful for people um okay basic knots have different names and when people start learning about shibari, typically nowadays you would start on the internet, but also you could follow different masters, different people who are really well known and are good at their art. And then you all start to learn different basic knots. And remember, just like everything, it's the kind of thing that you start little by little and at some point you realize, oh my God, I know all of this random crap that I didn't realize I had room in here for. And so a lot of what you see when you watch videos about it is actually people talking about, well, this is this knot, this is this knot. But remember that if you're just getting started, this is not necessarily, this is not necessarily something that um, you're going to have to learn all at once. You don't have to be an expert from the beginning. You absolutely don't have to be um, amazing at dominating people to listen and to enjoy this nice, fun, playful experience. Um, so just like the Boy Scouts, you would start with something and you would continue on and build upon all of those things. It's also used for um, 
mental stimulation as well as relaxation. So know that the ways that we connect to what's happening in our body and especially in confinement and even in um, and even while being suspended, we create new patterns in our brain for how these things feel and what we can do about them and how to kind of engage with those sensations. And that creates a very ritualistic sexual experience. So it is supposed to be made to look good. Hence the art part. I mean, we're talking about making knots in certain aspects that eventually make things look almost uh, weaved together. It's almost a form of crocheting hands-on um, and hands-in, right? So remember that a lot of what you're looking at when you look at shibari, when you watch a video that is shibari or go to a live show is the artistry of what that ends up looking like and not so much the sexual experience. So the person, little bit of terms here, the person who is what's considered the rope top is called a rigger typically and the person who is a rope bottom can be called a model or a rope bunny. Um, so if you look up like uh, different kinds of like bunny terms in on Instagram of FetLife, for example, a lot of those will be related specifically to um, shibari and bondage. So people like it um, mostly because of its level of sensuality. Having control over someone, especially someone who is suspended, can be really exciting, but there's also a very slow buildup. And that slow buildup, that ritual in sexuality is something that normal vanilla everyday sex misses uh, people get really into their routines sex for pleasure tends to be um, so purpose-driven that we miss out on the build-up I'm not talking necessarily about foreplay I, I feel like sometimes foreplay is very over um, prescribed we think that foreplay is the solution well yeah foreplay was the solution when sex was treated like a means to have a man ejaculate. Um, but foreplay came in to kind of tell us, oh, by the way, women should also be having orgasms. People with vulvas and clitorises are also valuable as part of their sexual experience and they should deserve, they deserve pleasure. Um, but I think the conversation's been had. I don't think that we need to keep going over that. Foreplay as in making sure your partner gets off should happen if your partner wants to get off every time, right? Like that's not something that you came here because you needed to hear. But we need to go much further than that. We don't have, we don't take time out for rituals revolving around sex. In fact, a lot of my clients will specifically tell me that their partner wants spontaneous amazing sex, but to them, it almost has to be scheduled. If you have kids, if you have a busy life, it is completely acceptable for sex to be scheduled. It is completely acceptable to um, say, hey, by the way, Thursday night, can we have some sexy time together? And make it a point to set everything up in a specific way that does that. Like, by the way, feed the kids early, lay them down early. Um, have no TVs on so that they fall asleep and you can actually enjoy your time together. For some people, uh, the ritual of sex can involve like cleaning your body or shaving or um, 
doing your makeup. So remember that the preparation for sex that we put in at the beginning of a relationship, we kind of stop putting in later and we think that we lose the magic, we think we lose the interest, but we're actually losing is that connection in our brain that becomes ritualistic. Like this is my preparation for sex. Um, so imagine somebody going on a first date, typically they would have probably shaved their legs, probably taken a shower, sometimes even like worked out for a few weeks or maybe that day you felt really great and wanted to work out and then like you straighten your hair a certain way, you do your makeup and your eyebrows a certain way. Yes, um, masculine people can still do their eyebrows, right? Uh, but like shave their face, their beard, their legs, whatever people, like however we take care of different hairs in different places, we do all these things. We perfume our body. Um, sometimes we wash sheets. We clean our spaces. Um, all of those rituals disappear and they become the kids are in bed. You've been exhausted all day. You lay down, plop yourself down, turn on the TV. And then you look at each other and you say like, you want to hook up? You don't realize that you have self-sabotaged by not creating the ritual. And we oversell the idea that sex should be spontaneous and easy and fast when what we're really doing is retraining ourselves to get away from that stuff that we absolutely loved at one point similar to the way we think about getting our babies ready to go to sleep we create a ritual we give them dinner and then we give them a bath with a nice lavender soap and all of the great stuff and then we prepare them for sleep we train them for sleep it's the exact same thing, but you're doing it to yourself. So consider that when we look at things like shibari, bondage, BDSM, there is a specific ritual of consent and also of negotiation and of aftercare that occurs very consistently. And I think is largely responsible for the reason that we um, interview people in BDSM communities and they feel like they have really fantastic sex lives the same way as swingers may say they have fantastic sex lives and really that just means that twice a month they go to a sex club or that twice a month they invite friends over and swap well yeah you went through the ritual it makes perfect sense that even inside of monogamy we need to find ways to get back into our sex rituals so that we can really enjoy them as much as we can so when it comes to shibari, back to focus. This has been my TED talk, by the way, I apologize. Um, both parties have things that they love. A lot of times people love the intensity of being suspended, sometimes the intensity of having some kind of breath play, um, of being tight and confined in one space. A lot of times the other person really likes being able to place someone there. Sometimes a person who is the bunny um, almost experiences like a trans-like state and having control over how you can make someone do that seems to be a huge draw for people and very uh, reasonable to think that you could have that kind of control over someone could imagine similar to a hypnotist uh, or even a magician enjoying tantalizing their audience, right? In fact, the term for a situation um, where you role play is called a scene. So it's interesting that that connection can be made there. Um, like I mentioned before, there's a really slow buildup to this. There's a ritual, but that slow buildup of each rope coming through and taking time, meticulous time to pay attention to someone um, 
is also something that is a huge draw for this. The way that you can focus in on an individual on each little corner of their body as you wrap around. Um, of course, that type of intense attention is both um, wonderful and sensual to the person receiving and to the person giving. It is something that we have missed out on um, specifically because we are always such a fast-paced community. There is um, the acceptance of constriction, the idea of release when your body tends to naturally uh, kind of pull back from the situation and decide that something's uncomfortable and then switching that into, I'm just gonna release into the sensation. What is it? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? And that itself can be something that is extremely sensual um, and can bring about relaxation in other aspects of your life. The idea that you could release into uncomfortableness and that uncomfortableness doesn't mean stop, it means listen, um, can translate to a lot of other situations in your life. There is also a description of freedom through suspension and people who regularly suspend feeling like they almost have a sensation of connectivity to the earth um, in the irony where our feet tend to be grounded and is in disgroundment that we end up feeling the most connected. Um, of course, it involves total trust in the other person. You absolutely need to trust the person who has completely tied you up and the other person has the trust in you and that connection itself is kind of being magnified by the dynamic and that can be super sexy. Um, where can you find Shibari? Well, Google it. I looked up Shibari Houston and a ton of stuff came up. In fact, all of the things that I found were really affordable and some of them are events that are actually free. So it's not like it's necessarily difficult to find places where you can do it. You can go on YouTube and find tutorials. You can go on Instagram and follow people. Um, you can get on FetLife and post that you're interested. People on FetLife can post videos and pictures and narratives. I really like that, that you can post your own story and a lot of people write erotica or descriptive stories about a lot of the stuff we talk about. So, But bondage is definitely one of those things that is easy to find on FetLife. Um, you can look for Shibari Studios, workshops. I just want to say, and this also goes through literally anything, if you find people who are experienced in their art and they're teaching the community, pay them. Find what they're selling and buy it. And support people who in today's world are creating content that you find valuable. It's the same thing for experienced Shibari um, riggers and experienced Shibari bunnies. They have things to say that are valuable. So pay them for it. Don't expect free content. Um, Let's see, what else? Kinky and popular on FetLife specifically is a good thread to follow that has a lot of really interesting stuff. I will say the stuff on there looks really incredible. Don't expect to be producing at the level of kinky and popular um, from the beginning. These are people who have done this for years or just actively do it much more often than you think. And then therefore their stuff looks bananas, amazing. Um, to prepare for Shibari, do some research, listen to my do's and don'ts, but definitely find your own do's and don'ts because I am not a master of Shibari. In fact, I've never tried Shibari. I've seen it in person a couple of times. I've always opted out. I am very controlling. I think I would be a rigger because I'm just not comfortable being a rope bunny. 
but never say never, right? Um, physically, a rope bunny probably needs to be very flexible. I think the complaints that I saw when I was looking it up online have more to do just with the inability to like hold your arm a certain way or your leg a certain way and how when the ropes get tightened, you're kind of pushing the person into this stretch. Well, if that stretch is uncomfortable, then obviously it's not going to end in the most comfortable way. Um, you can also check out a book by two naughty K-N-O-T-T-Y boys. Uh, it's called Showing You the Ropes so that you can kind of learn some very basic information about um, Shibari and how to do it from the start. It's a beginner's guide. I suggest it and it seems to have really fantastic reviews. As always, ways to be safe. Um, we're going to go through the basics that are good for everything, but then we have very specific shivari how to be safe. So for sure, get tested. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know if for you a shivari experience ends up into like amazing orgasmic need or if it's going to be like you don't have sex. It doesn't matter. You want to get tested. Um, you want to talk through consent and respect and I will talk to you about the ritual of negotiation aftercare at the end of this little segment. And do not be, do not drink or do drugs, but definitely don't get drunk and then decide shibari is a fantastic idea. It is not a fantastic idea. Stop listening to the drunk you that tells you things are good ideas because the drunk you also says, call your exes and take up workout plans and sing karaoke. So we don't listen to drunk us, okay? Um, Use a traffic light system. So remember, instead of establishing a safe word that people are unlikely to use, set up a traffic light system or you can say orange if you want to change um, either positions or if you want something to be changed uh, and red if you're just done with the whole experience. Remember that we tend to ask for things in incremental steps. Something being like a cutoff may sound too definite and not exactly what you're trying to communicate. Keep safety shears with you at all times when you're doing shibari. If anything goes wrong, you wanna be able to take some, someone's ropes off quickly and ropes do not come off quickly when they've been tied shibari style all over your body weaved into each other. So safety shears are an important must have. Never tie a shibari rope on a joint because that cuts off circulation. So you need to be very careful. You also need to be careful with how you over tie. You don't want to put ropes underneath other ropes you stretch stretch them out so that they're kind of wrapped um, kind of ribbon like against your body instead of some overlapping others of course you overlap when you create a knot but not when you're wrapping so be ca very careful about pressure points like that that can create um, uncomfortable sensations that may not be warranted remember to choose a good type of rope most of the time people choose a cotton there are some hemp ropes but there are spiky ropes that can give you blisters and you absolutely, um, I'm sorry, not blisters, splinters. You absolutely don't want splinters all over your body, especially in areas where you can't reach them. And a lot of times the friction itself can cause like a little bit of rug burn. So using the kind of rope that people specifically use for shibari is a good idea. You also don't wanna use a rope that is too thin. Thin ropes cause cutting. So you wanna use a thick rope that can go against your skin easily without piercing. So when it comes to negotiation and aftercare, I mentioned I was gonna talk about this. Most of the BDSM community engages in a negotiation before um, they're seen, before they play. And that negotiation can be 
pretty simple about this is how far we're going to go or how soft we're going to keep it. Um, and this pertains to everything. The negotiation takes place if you're doing um, some type of game of needles, if you're doing suspension with hooks, it takes place if you're doing puppy play. So you always want to talk about what the expectation is, what the person wants, what they don't want, how far they're willing to go. And you have to be, yes, okay, willing to listen, to renegotiate and find a good dynamic. Negotiations start at the beginning and continue throughout the entire experience. Just because you say yes to something at the beginning does not mean that you must do it later and that you cannot change your mind. In fact, negotiations work best when the person who is doing the action asks if it's continuing to feel comfortable, if it's continuing to go the way you want it to go. Because the person receiving tends to be more shy about the experience and allow the other person to kind of take control. Yes, BDSM. So when we give someone control, the person in control has the responsibility of making sure that we continue getting exactly what we want from the experience at all times, even if we've lost track of our focus and have realized, oh, I'm actually not paying attention anymore to what's happening. Lastly, um, after playing, there will be a session of aftercare. Most of the time in BDSM, that looks like the person who was on top, the top um, being loving, caring, stroking them, sometimes bathing them, um, engaging in some type of aftercare, I think is fantastic for any sexual experience. I think it's fantastic for um, swinging and for communities like that. And I think must be an important part of how we handle play with other people. So um, terms to remember again, the rope top is called a rigger. The rope bottom is a bunny or model. They sometimes switch parts, but whatever role they're playing is the name we call it. The entire play is called a scene, even if it's not in front of people. And to recap, you have learned where you can find shibari. You have learned what it's called in Japan, where it started and why. And you have learned how to engage in it safely and with consent. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.